Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 1. And we'll begin reading in verse number 46. We'll start a little short series today. We'll put our series on James on hold until after the holidays, until after Christmas. But uh, I think it's just a short series for the remainder of the Christmas season on the Magnificent Magnificat. Luke chapter 1. Start reading in verse number 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful song, uh, first spoken by Mary. And I pray, Father, that as we think about it over the next few weeks, that, oh, Lord, you'll speak to us from it. Lord, there's so much here. And I pray, Father, that as I approach this such an important passage of Scripture, that, Lord God, you will give wisdom and help. Father, I pray that my stammering words will be replaced by yours. I pray, Father, that you'll be the one speaking. And I pray that we'll all have ears to hear what you have for us today. Father God, it's Christmas time when Jesus came, when we celebrate the fact that Jesus came. And, and Lord, there, there may be some here who have never yet accepted that wonderful gift. And I pray today that something said, something that's already been said in song or in word, something from this passage, Lord, the Holy Spirit would just get hold of hearts, apply these things. And Lord, if there are those today who need to know you, that don't know you, may they, before they leave this place. And Father, encourage us all as we think about the beautiful things that are said here in this passage. Uh, May we walk out of this place praising you, saying, as Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be in Luke's Gospel for the next couple of weeks as we look at this passage. And Luke's Gospel is interesting. Luke's Gospel has some interesting differences from some of the other synoptic Gospels. And of course, when I say... Synoptic Gospels, I'm talking about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three Gospels that are similar and therefore called Synoptic Gospels. One of the differences with Luke is that Luke talks about the women in the story more than the others do. Never thought about that much until I studied this, but I come to realize that Luke alone tells of people like Susanna and Joanna who ministered to Christ of their substance. Luke alone tells the story of the widow of Zarephath, the widow of Nain, the woman that was bent over with infirmity. Luke alone tells of these women. Luke alone tells of the woman who was grieving over her lost piece of silver. So one of the differences that exists between Luke and Matthew and Mark is that, that he mentions more about the women. But you know what? Of all the wonderful women that Luke talks about, there's one that rises to the top, isn't there? And that's Mary. Luke also shares some details of the Christmas story that we don't see 
other places. One of, one of the details that's unique to him is that he alone mentions the songs, the songs of Zacharias and Elizabeth, the song of Mary that we're looking at here, and the song of Simeon that's in chapter 2. Songs of Christmas. Christmas carols. We certainly think about Christmas songs, Christmas carols this time of year, don't you? Matter of fact, I think most of us would say that's one of the special things about this time of the year is the singing of Christmas carols. And most of us probably even have a favorite. If I were to go around this room this morning, probably everybody in this room would be able to say what their favorite Christmas carol is. If you have one, maybe you've got a couple. I always like the first Noel. That's one of my favorites. Until I read someplace that it originally had something like 31 verses. I didn't like it as much. But you know what? Maybe Joy to the World or Angels We Have Heard on High. Some of the other Christmas carols would come to mind as a favorite. Some who maybe don't have as much interest in the real meaning of Christmas might uh, choose something like Santa Claus is coming to town. or I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus or something silly like that. Obviously, some people would pick Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer because I read recently that that is the highest-selling Christmas carol of all time. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Well, Luke lets us in on the fact that there were carols sung, there were songs of Christmas long before any of those were ever even thought of. And he, had, he mentions four. Four Christmas carols, one by Zacharias and one by Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, one by Mary that we've read here, one by Simeon in Luke chapter 2. But of, of those four songs, none stands higher than the song of Mary that we read this morning. Lowly Mary produced one of the greatest of Christmas carols. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest hymns of all time. One commentator went so far as to say that not even David sings of Jehovah in more exalted strains than does Mary. It's only ten verses long in our Bibles. This wonderful song of Mary, it's called the Magnificat. And it's called that because the Latin version of Luke chapter 1 and verse 46 is, and forgive my nonsensical Latin pronunciation, because I don't know Latin, but it is something like magnificat anima mea dominum. Magnificat. The word magnificat translates Mary's words, my soul magnifies the Lord. The magnificent magnificat. Over the next few weeks, I want to touch on several things that she talks about here. She talks about several wonderful topics in this song. One is, what has he done? What has he done? She was well aware of the wonder of what God had done and was doing in her life and in the world. Another is, who is doing it? She was also well aware of, of, of who this was. She says some wonderful things here about the person of God, and we'll see that. She also talks about what will it matter. We'll look into some of her insights into what would happen to her. She knew it was going to have a profound effect on her, on her people. And on the world. And finally, what should it produce? We'll see that it, it did something to Mary. It did produce something in her, and it should produce something in us as well. So we'll look at those things. Had we been there that day, had we been standing there with Mary and Elizabeth as, as these words poured forth from her mouth, we would have heard her say, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And we might have been tempted to ask, Why, Mary? What has he done? That would make you rejoice. So. And I think she would say for starters. He has regarded my state. Look at verse number 48. He has regarded the lowly state. Of his maidservant. That's interesting isn't it? Mary apparently didn't think very highly of herself. She didn't think she was anything great. Her humility is seen in the use of the phrase. 
lowly state. And the use of the term maidservant. Indeed, there's absolutely no evidence in the Bible that she was anything other than a common young woman from a nondescript family in Israel. There's no indication of wealth or status. Rather, that she was just one of many nameless, unremarkable girls in the land. Of course, today she's been elevated to a position that is far beyond that and described in phrases that have no basis in the Bible. Some call her things like the Queen of Heaven. Some consider that she has been immaculately conceived. Some even consider that she's co-equal with Christ in the matter of redemption. Some people, many people, many people pray to Mary. But the fact is, none of those things are to be found anywhere in the Bible that you're holding this morning. And Mary applied no such thought process to herself. And actually, the things she says about herself in the Magnificat negate every single one of those things. I think Mary would be the first to rise appalled that some of those things were being taught about her. So I think it's important this morning, before we really get into this, because every Christmas season we are reminded of the important role that Mary played. And there is so much confusion about her. I think it's important that we clear up some of those things. So I, I want to talk about one just for a minute this morning before we get into what she had to say here. You know, Paul asked the Galatians one time, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And I would say the same. I know that there are some here this morning that have a uh, Catholic background. I know there are some here this morning that have been taught these things. And I don't intend to offend. I do not want to offend anyone. I just want to share with you what the Bible says. Okay? So let me, let me talk to you for just a moment about one particular erroneous thing that I just mentioned is said about Mary, and that is the Immaculate Conception. Let's talk about that for just a minute. In the Catholic Encyclopedia, we read the following. In the Constitution, in Ephibilis Deus of 8 December 1854, Pius IX pronounced and defined that the Blessed Virgin Mary, quote, in the first instance of her conception, by a singular privilege and grace granted by God, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved exempt from all stain of original sin. Did you get that part? She was preserved exempt from all stain of original sin. That is what has been called the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. That Mary had no sin. That Mary had no original sin. That same source goes on to explain it a little bit. And this is wordy, but try and hold on here just for a second. The formal, active essence of original sin was not removed from her soul as it is removed from others by baptism. It was excluded. It never was in her soul. Simultaneously with the exclusion of sin, the state of original sanctity, innocence, and justice, as opposed to original sin, was conferred upon her by which gift every stain and fault, all depraved emotions, passions, and debilities essentially pertaining to original sin were excluded. Key phrase there, it was excluded, it never was in her soul. Now those of you who have a background in Catholicism no doubt have heard that taught before and have heard it taught as truth, but let me ask you this, what would Mary say about that? Let's, let's look at her own words here in this magnificent Magnificat. And ask ourselves, what would she say about it? Look at verse number 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. 
For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Her praise there is all for God. Her praise there is all for the Lord, none for herself. She did not consider herself anything great. And notice that her spirit rejoiced in God, her Savior. What an astonishing word that is. Savior. A person does not need a Savior unless they are first a sinner. Mary did not believe herself sinlessly perfect. Mary did not believe herself immaculately conceived. She knew that she needed a Savior. Now the fact is the Bible teaches nothing even remotely like this. Nothing remotely like the Immaculate Conception. And I will tell you that if you can find it in there, I will eat my Bible. There's a challenge for you. It's not in there. It's not in there. As a matter of fact, if you listen to that quote I read a minute ago, you'll see that it was the invention, the decree of a man, a man by the name of Pope Pius IX. The Bible teaches actually the exact opposite of the Immaculate Conception. It teaches, does it not, that all of us have sinned. If Mary was without sin, our Bible suddenly is just filled with inconsistencies. What do we do, for example, with Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23, if the Immaculate Conception is true? What do we do with uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Do we write in the margin of our Bible, oh, by the way, except for Mary? What do we do with that? What do we do with Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 20? There is not a just man or woman on earth who does good and does not sin. What do we do with Galatians 3.22? But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. What do we do with 1 John chapter 1 verse number 8? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, do we write in the margin? Except Mary. No, I think when we read her magnificent, magnificat, it comes through loud and clear. Mary knew she was a sinner. Mary knew she needed a Savior. And she said it very, very plainly, just like everybody else. Mark Lowry, in his wonderful Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know?, asked some questions of Mary. He said, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would someday walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered would soon deliver you. You know what I think? I think Mary didn't know those things. She might not have known them completely. I mean, this was early on. I don't think she understood it all yet. And I'm pretty sure she probably didn't know about the walking on water part yet. But she knew she needed a deliverer. And I think she understood in some way that that deliverer was the baby she was about to bring into this world. So, I want to clarify that. And maybe we'll talk about some of those other things a little bit as we go through this series. But for now, let's just put that one aside. No such thing as the Immaculate Conception. So let's think a little bit about what she does say here. Let's return to our text. She said, he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. What, what has he done, Mary, that makes you want to rejoice so? He has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. What a glorious thought. He has seen me. He knows me. He regards me. And it's even more of a glorious thought when you think about the fact that it not only applies to Mary, it applies to you, and it applies to me. Nobody said it better than Horatio Spafford when he said, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Praise the Lord. In my lowly state, in your lowly state, he has regarded me. He has regarded you. Just as Mary could say, he has regarded me. 
We hear Mary say, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. And we want to ask her, what has he done that you would rejoice so? And that's the first answer that's going to come back. He's regarded me. He has seen me in all my need, in all my poverty. He has looked upon me in spite of my unworthiness. He has regarded me. Perhaps she would have quoted from the Psalms. Psalm 138, verse number 6, though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly. I wonder, have you regarded your lowly state? Have you given it some thought this morning? Maybe you're going through trouble and pain these days. Or maybe discouragement lays heavy on your heart. Or worry and stress fill your thoughts. Maybe, maybe some, I don't know, fractured relationship throbs in your chest. Perhaps from where you sit, Mary's description of her lowly state fits you perfectly. Perhaps it fits the way you feel. You know, we're told that at this time of year, at Christmas time, depression, despondency hits all time highs. And so perhaps that's true of you. But you know, no matter what state we find ourselves in, we can hear Mary's wonderful words. He is regarded. He sees. He regards. He knows. Have you regarded your lowly state? Perhaps none of those issues fit. Perhaps you say to yourself, things are going pretty well for me. But what about the state of your soul? What about the lowly state of your soul? I wonder, do you know the Savior that Mary carried? That Mary called? (laughs) God, my Savior, in verse 47. Have you come to the place where you understood in the depths of your soul how very lost you are without him? Have you come to the place where you understood that he is the only Have you come to the place where you called out to him and asked him to be your savior? He has regarded my lowly state. Hear Mary's wonderful words. And if we kept reading on in our Bibles, we'd find out that not only does he see us in that state, but he has made a way. And he offers salvation. And he waits your reply if you but accept that gift. Mary, what has he done for you, Mary, that you would rejoice so? He has regarded my lowly state. She said another thing. It's in verse number 48. She said, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Henceforth all generations will call me blessed. She said, number two, he has established my future. He has established my future. He has given me a future. I read this and I thought about this and I was reminded of that wonderful promise in Jeremiah chapter 29. We we have this promise all over our house. This is one of my wife's favorite passages. She has stuck up all over the house. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And you know, as you read the Magnificat, every verse reverberates with hope, does it not? Every verse reverberates with the hope of a wonderful, wonderful future. But that's not all I see in that little phrase. Henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. There's something else here, and maybe something even more interesting here. That little word, henceforth. Think about that for a minute. That little word, henceforth, is translated in some other translations as, from now on. Mary was saying, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She was describing a fresh start. She was describing a new beginning. I think it was almost as if Mary recognized that there was a B.C. and an A.D. And that everything from now on would be different. She saw it from a personal perspective. 
From now on, people are going to think differently of me. From now on, people are going to look and say, how, why, my, how God has blessed me. Oh, but the truth goes far beyond her personal for her. The birth of the Savior didn't just change Mary's life and Mary's future. It changed everything. All of history started over when Jesus was born. When Mary gave birth to the only begotten Son of God, it changed everything. He stepped out of heaven, stepped into this world, and everything changed. And you know what? Some of us here this morning can relate to that on a personal level, can't we? I can. I can remember on May 3rd, 1970, when Jesus stepped out of heaven and invaded the heart of a 12-year-old boy. Hmm. My heart. And let me tell you, everything changed. I could sing with Mary from that moment on that he had established my future. I could sing with that wonderful hymn writer. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I will never forget. After I'd wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend. He met the need of my heart. Shadows dispelling with joy, I am telling. He made all the darkness depart. And now I have a hope that will surely endure. After the passing of time, I have a future in heaven for sure. There in those mansions sublime. And it's because of that wonderful church. One of the cross, I believed. Riches eternal and blessings supernal from his precious hand I received. You know what? I have a B.C. and an A.D. now. I have a from this moment on, a henceforth, a dividing line in my life where everything changed. And I wonder this morning, is there one in your life? Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And we ask, what has he done that you would rejoice so? And she said, well, number one, he's regarded my lowly state. But number two, he has established my future. He has given me a future. Number three, she says one other thing. It's in verse number 49. She said, he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Oh, what a wonderful verse that is. He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Mary spoke, of course, about Jehovah, Yahweh, God. He is the one who is mighty. And he has indeed done great things. She mentioned a few here, and we'll talk about these over the next couple of weeks as we continue to look at this passage. In verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of mercy. Oh, those are all great things, to be sure. I don't think that's what she's talking about, though. Because notice she says very specifically he has done great things for her. Verse number four. She was talking about personal. Personal. He has done great things for me, she said. And as Matthew Henry put it, a great thing indeed that a virgin should conceive. A great thing indeed that Messiah, so long promised and so long expected, should now at length be born. And we might add a great thing indeed that Mary should be the chosen vessel to fulfill that wonderful promise and bring that Messiah into the world. You know, it had been prophesied and promised hundreds of years before. It had been read and and recited many, many times. No doubt Mary had heard it over and over throughout her young life. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. She had heard it and imagined what it must have been like to find out, to come to the realization in her mind 
that that long-mentioned prophecy was going to be fulfilled in her. Great things, indeed. I wonder, could we say the same thing this morning? That he that is mighty has done great things for me. Can you say that today? We all ought to be able to say that today. Maybe you might think, struggle to think of some examples, some, some mighty things, some great things that God has done for you. Well, let me help you a little. Let me jog your memory a bit. Some of the great things he has done for you. You know, number one, he has made you. He has made you. Uniquely you. Amazingly you. Amazingly crafted a masterpiece, a poem, the Bible says. Contrary to what you're going to hear in school or in the public square, uh, you didn't evolve from goo. You're not something that just happened. God made you. You are unique and wonderful in all his creation. The psalmist said, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. He has made you great things. He has also loved you from the time you were only a plan in his mind right up until this very moment. He has loved you. Loved you just as you are. Loved you even when you didn't love him. Loved you even when the Bible describes you as being his enemy. Jeremiah said, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He has loved you. And he has never given up on you. Ever. Even when you were lost and dead, destined for eternity in hell. He didn't abandon you. Rather, he made a way to get you back to redeem your lost soul. To atone for the sin that kept you away from him. And he gave you Jesus. That's what the whole thing's about. That's what Christmas is all about. He gave you Jesus, your Savior, your Messiah, your King. He made the supreme sacrifice of allowing his son to take your place on the cross of Calvary. To die instead of you. To pay your debt. Not his. Yours. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's never given up on you. And he has said that if you will only stop trusting in your own self, stop trusting in your own works, trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, he'll forgive your sin and save you forever. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord should be saved. Are these great things? Can you not say, can we not all say that he that is mighty has done great things for me? Those of us who are saved ought to be able to say it. We ought to be able to shout with Mary that truth. We ought to be able to say with the psalmist, your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you. Mary couldn't help it. She had to shout it out. She had to sing it. How can we do any less? Jesus told the maniac of Gadara after he had been saved, after he had come to know the Lord. He said to him, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way. And he told everybody what great things God had done for him. The prophet Samuel told the people of Israel, only fear the Lord and serve him uh, in the truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. And the psalmist reminds us, the Lord has done great things for us. 
and we are glad. Can we not this morning sing with Mary? He who is mighty has done great things for me. So hear her this Christmas season. Hear her magnificent magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. What has he done for you, Mary, that you would rejoice so? He has regarded my state. He has established my future, given me a future. He has done great things. And can we not say amen?